what um, we're going to be doing now is um, I'm going to be spending two weeks looking um, at the role of elders. Last week, if you were here as part of our vision um, for this year, um, I recapped where we're going as a church, reminded us, which I do regularly, what we're about, what God's called us to. But particularly, I looked at the leadership of the church and outlined a few things there, uh, particularly with the um, appointment of elders, which is something that's on the horizon that we're going to do over the next few months. So I'll do a very brief recap of what we did last week. If you haven't listened to the sermon from last week, I encourage you, if you're a member here, I would love you to do that. I can't urge you that strongly enough that you've listened to that and heard that for yourself. But I'll give a quick recap here. So can you put the church logo up to start with for me? Um, What I talked about um, last week is the the church logo there, we've got our three um, interlocked circles there that have been scribbled. And I said that was an illustration for us for the way um, the leadership of the church run. If we put the next one up, I said there are three teams that lead the church. We have the leadership team, which has been in place really since day one. And they're the operational team that run the church. Um, we have the directors who are um, responsible for the legal and financial running of the church. And then we have the elders, which have yet to be appointed. So if you split them all out... There are three teams. They have overlapping roles and responsibilities, but each also has its own particular area to make us move forward as a church. And what I want to focus on over the next few weeks is the elders being that third group, which we haven't had in place at that point. And I announced last week that there were the three guys who will be put forward um, to the church um, to be appointed elders. And so there they are. That's myself, Matthew, and Jeremy. And that all kind of came out last week. We talked a little bit about that and about those individual teams. And what I want to do this week and next week is to look particularly at the role of elders. This week I'm going to look at who they are. Next week I'm going to look at what they do just as a way of informing us the church, getting everybody on the same page. Now what were the roles and the responsibilities? I went through these last week but I'll remind you of them. Before God, um, they all begin with D so we can remember them. Um, The elders are responsible for doctrine What do we believe about a certain thing? What does the Bible say? And so we can be in line with God's word. Very important role. They're also responsible for discipline. How do we handle particular sin in our midst? It comes up. What do we do with it? How do we handle it? Particularly in the area of leadership. If it comes up, how do we care for the church in that way and keep the church safe? Areas of delegation. They they bear final responsibility in handling that and who we give responsibility to within the church. Someone has got to carry the can for that. That is them. Direction. Are we going where God has called us? Are we going, are we still on track or are we veering off? The elders are the ones who've got to be saying, all right, guys, let's keep focused on what God has called us to. Discipleship, are we growing as disciples? Are we making new disciples? Are we going deeper with God? And then finally, devotion. How are we praying and worshipping as a church? And they're kind of areas of responsibility to the elders just to make sure we're on track and holding them together. So that was sort of a bit of a recap of last week's looking to today, what I'm going to look at is um, who these men should be. What kind of men should we appoint as elders? I'm going to look at what the Bible says, and then next week we're going to look at what they should be doing a bit more in depth. Now, what the passage, hopefully you've found now, 1 Timothy 3, is a description 
given by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, another leader called Timothy, about the kind of people who should be appointed elders. And he gives a list of character requirements for them, something that they should look, for, look, for, um, look in, uh, be looking in these guys. And what I want to do is look at them, go through them, and apply that to us. Now, the interesting thing is when you read this passage, it's only talking about one particular group, but actually as followers of Jesus, it should apply to us all. If you're a follower of Jesus, there should be a way you should act. There should be a way that you should be. Not trying to earn God's favor, but as a recognition of what God has done in our lives and an outflowing of that. So I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to have a look at some of those things. So this is what it says. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, but violent. Oh, sorry, not violent. Okay, that all went horribly wrong there. Should we just back that up, beginning of verse 3? Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with deceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. All right. This... um, of Paul's writing, he begins by saying this is a trustworthy saying, emphasizing the importance of what he's doing. You need to remember, you need to think about this. There's got some, there's got some, um, some emphasis on this as he said it. And he uses this language, he describes it as the office of overseeing. You think, well, how does that scan with elders? They're obviously not using the same thing. Well, the, the New Testament uses a number of terms for the same thing. The most common term is elder. If you read through the book of Acts, it comes up time and time and time and time again. The elders were appointed in this plan, the elders, da 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 da. If you read through the book of Acts. However, in twice here and also in the beginning of Philippians, where where we looked at the Joy, Joy, Joy series, it uses this term overseer, describing what they do. The elders oversee what's going on. So it's actually still talking about the same office, but actually it's just using a different way of describing it. Their role is to oversee something, to look after something, look out for something. The other term that is often associated with it is that of pastor or shepherd. And that only actually comes up twice. Uh, in my Bible, once in Ephesians 4, where it talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And then one other in 1 Peter, which we'll actually look at next week. But what we're talking about is elders. So this is applies to them. Those describe kind of what they do, but are interchangeable words. Often people use words like pastor as well, although it's a lot less common in the um, New Testament. That's why we always stick with elder. It comes up way more. It's much more safer to go with that. So that's what we're doing. So this is a trustworthy saying. And if anyone aspires to that office, if anyone desires that office, that is a noble thing. That is a good thing, Paul is saying. If anyone desires to be an elder, that is not um, a bad thing. That is something that should be commended and encouraged. It's an office and it says to serve. He wants to serve in that office. 
And so that is a good thing. So men who want to do this, that is a wonderful thing to be part of it. But then he goes on, and what did he talk about? He talks about character, and he uses this phrase, they must be above reproach. The most fundamental thing in Christian ministry, in any form of Christian ministry, in fact, Christian life as a whole, is character. What you are like as a person, particularly what are you like when no one's looking? That is the fundamental thing. If we trace it throughout the Bible, we find that those who fail in the private fail spectacularly in the public. And that some of the people God has called to serve him in so many ways, they fail morally, they fail um, in character. The effectiveness of God can be utterly ruined. So Paul, at the outset, says when he talks about what these people should be like, he hammers character. There's a couple of things in there that you think, well, they're doing things, but most of it is what they're like as people. And so when it comes to assessing someone to be an elder, the number one place you start is character. It's the same of any leadership um, in the church. In this church, that's what we do. It's good to have people who are gifted in certain areas, skilled in certain areas, talented in certain areas, brilliant. But if your character sucks, you are not fit for office. You need to work on character. Character must be the most important thing. And he describes it as above reproach, which means you have integrity. It means no criticism could be leveled against you in certain areas. You have a character that is exemplary. Now, what it doesn't say is perfection. That's not what Paul is talking about, because everyone would fail on that. It's talking about high standards. High standards in terms of how we conduct our lives. All the leaders in the church, um, have, we've recently put in place over the last six months role descriptions for everyone from um, our kids' leaders and our leadership team. Um, and a role descriptions of what they are. And all of them contain at the outset of what they, their character should be like, the kind of life they should be living as a Christian. Reading their Bibles, praying, serving willingly, being part of the church family, loving, caring for one another. That's the outset. That's how it always starts. And that's across the board with us as a church, but particularly in the role of office of elder, that actually this should be paramount, number one, and they should be judged more highly than others in this area. Um, And so what Paul then outlines is 13 different character requirements which I'm going to go through and I want to submit ourselves to them. I want us all to submit ourselves to them as believers here because actually these should be true of all of us. And so as we go through, think of this as a self-assessment. You're welcome. It was worth coming this morning, wasn't it? To be put against this yardstick but also particularly I want you to look at the three of us who are put as elders and examine our life. You've walked alongside us, you've lived amongst us for years some of you you know us and this is what we should be like and if we fail in these areas we are not fit for office and so I'm going to put them to you today and invite your response so number one what does it say it says therefore an overseer must be above reproach number one sexual purity It's described as the husband of one wife the literal translation of that is a one woman man. That's what an elder should be. It means that in every area of their life there should be um, sexual purity and that purity should be above reproach. It should not be able to be kind of criticized how they conduct themselves in this area. It doesn't necessarily mean married because we have two of the most prominent people in our New Testament weren't married. Jesus and Paul the apostle who even wrote this, 
but actually he's driving out. It turns out most of them are. Most men do get married um, at some stage in their life. Um, but actually, in terms of sexual purity, it should be above reproach. So there's the no aspect. What does that mean? Number one, adultery. No. Pornography, innuendo, flirtatious behavior, coarse joking, inappropriate comments, relationships. What you watch on television and film and what is displayed there in this area. No to all of that. And that actually applies across the board. All of us for Christians, that is how we should be conducting life. On the flip side, there is a very strong yes in there as well, which means that you should be enjoying sex with your spouse. You should be pursuing your spouse. You should be enjoying the gift God's given to you in form of sex. It's not something that is taboo. It's something that has been given to us to enjoy. But in a sex-saturated world, there can be no room for compromise in this area. Sexual conduct for elders must be impeccable in every area. Number two. This is fun, isn't it? Number two, it says they are, should be sto- sober-minded. They should be stable. What does this mean? This describes someone who is self-restrained, who is clear-headed, who is balanced in their judgment, not given to excess um, or rash behavior. Elders need to be emotionally and mentally stable to be able to kind of deal with the, um, the responsibilities of their office. The next one, these kind of three are linked together. The next one, it says they should be self-controlled. They should be disciplined. This is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned there, evidence of God's Spirit in work in our life. They exercise good judgment, discretion, common sense. They are sensible. Many of these traits are not sexy, but they are important to be in leadership in God's church. And so these guys are um, be able to exercise objective perspective in the face of problems, disagreements, not emotionally driven by how they interact with others and make, especially make large decisions in the future of the church. The next one, it says they are to be respectable. This is not something people necessarily aspire to today, but they are to be something that um, the idea of proper behavior, self-control, upright, honest, trustworthy, The presence of God in their life flows out in these character traits before others. The fifth one, they are to be hospitable. This is an important biblical virtue. um, It expresses kind of Christian love and family. They are to open their home and welcome people into it. They welcome people into God's church and what we're doing as a family together. It's one of the reasons why we do many things through our home. We run our courses there. We run the I Am Real Life Church there. We've done Alpha and Explore and Freedom Christ. We're doing it in homes so people can serve one another. Our life group meets home to home week by week so people can practice and use these gifts. And it's particularly beholden on elders to shepherd the flock, to care for those under by opening their home and having them in and sort of using that gift. As we grow and multiply, obviously they can't care for everyone. But there are particular moments and times in church life when people come into their homes and they will be cared for. The next one, they are to be able to teach. They should be a teacher. The church is built on what the Bible says because what God says goes. The Bible is our ultimate authority. It is above us. We do not judge it. It judges us. And so others should know what the Bible says and be able to communicate that and pass that on to others simply and clearly. This is what the Bible says about this particular area. This is what the Bible says about this particular area. doesn't necessarily mean they all stand on the platform and preach, but actually is they can communicate people and answer questions as they come up with it. Next one, number, I think we're on number seven. It says they to be wise with alcohol. 
not a drunkard, it says. They are to be above reproach in this area. Drunkenness, is simply put, is a sin. The Bible says it doesn't mean you can't drink. We serve communion and we serve it with alcoholic wine, if you would like that. A lot of people enjoy a drink. Nothing wrong with that. But it's drinking to excess, not being able to control yourself, comes back to being self-controlled. Drinking too much is not something a trait of an elder or any Christian should be. We all know the, the, what alcohol, excessive alcohol intake can lead to. Saying things, doing things that can have great repercussions in your life and the life of those around you. They must be very wise in how they drink um, um, and use alcohol. The next one, oh, I get this right. They need to be gentle, not violent. Gentle. They literally need to be gentle men. Gentle men. The verb violent there is a verb, it means to strike. So they could, it kind of it comes in a physical, uh, it can be physical, but it can also be verbal. Uh, be irritable, out of control, bad-tempered, um, uh, and, and kind of prone to kind of outbursts, those kind of things. Not acceptable. The, the, the flip of that is they are to be gentle, kind, gracious, magnanimous, patient, calm. Particularly when dealing with the vulnerable amongst us. The young, the elderly, the infirm, those who are kind of hurting and broken. There needs to be a gentleness and a caring. Those who are, who are dealing with sin in their lives, there needs to be a gentle way of caring for those people. And this is something that should be displayed in the church, but also outside of the church as well. The next one, number nine, says peaceable, not, not quarrelsome. They should be peaceful men. This is the opposite of contentious of fighting, arguing, quarreling. Those people who like, I love a good argument. Sorry, not for you. They should be, blessed are the peacemakers, wanting to bring togetherness, bring harmony and unity. That doesn't mean at the compromise of truth, but actually they are peaceful in their character, wanting to get along with people with love and serving, seeking reconciliation rather than division. The next one, uh, number 10, they should be generous, not lovers of money. Another great idol of our age is the pursuit of wealth and money and possessions, and this must not be a motivator for service. Elders recognize everything we have comes from God, and actually we are to be generous with that, to serve one another. This begins with the example of Christ, who gave up everything for us, and then we as followers of his, we do the same thing. So this begins for us as Christians is we give to our local church that we're a part of that's where first and foremost where our giving comes but then we are seek to be generous on top of that with those around us not just in the church but also outside of the church just so you're aware on this one because it's a nice objective one money and you can work it out very clearly um, as part of this process all the individuals involved um, I asked um, the directors to give me a complete breakdown of every penny they've ever given to the church. This is mine. Every penny I've given, I won't tell you, Matt and Jeremy, that's for them to do, not for me. But this is mine, everything since 2013, because that's when we became a, a charity in our own right. We've been giving beforehand because we were, another church was running our books. But this is every penny I've ever given. If you want to come and look at it, you are free to do that. But actually, that's just something we reviewed in this area to actually look at generosity and how, it, how, we, um, uh, how we are doing with our money. That also has been sent to Andy Martin, so he's 
he's got all that information as well and is free to talk to us about that if he feels fit. It's also part of the reason I tell you why I tell you my salary and how much I give, just to make sure that you are aware that that is how we deal with money and this is the way it should be dealt with um, in the church. We are to be generous with everything we have. The next one, we are to be stewards. It says you're to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Elders are meant to be uh, men who care for their families. It begins obviously with their wife as number one. That's the person they should love and care for the most. That should be their number one priority in people they care for. But then it goes beyond there if children are being blessed by God to that family. And those children are meant to be lovingly led. They're meant to be cared for uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and led into um, growing up into young adults and beyond and uh, be looked after by the father. It's not to be done as a tyrant who rules over, but as someone who lovingly serves and care for them. Children, it says, are to be submissive, which is a wonderfully emotive term. Um, I'm not sure if any, anyone have had children that can really be, yeah, my children are submissive all the time. <laughs> really? Really? But as a general kind of practice that the children love their parents and follow their lead in all things. And the reason Paul gives is very clear. Well, if you can't manage your own household, how are you going to manage God's? Your own home, your own life is a microcosm of what God might be called you. If you cannot manage your own life and what God has given to you, in terms of your work or your family or your children, whatever that is, how are you then going to have responsibility in God's church and God's family? How's he going to call you into those things? That's where it begins first and foremost. So elders must first and foremost shepherd their own families before they shepherd um, the family of God. And obviously the children aren't perfect. No children are. And particularly um, children of those who are in leadership and particularly more senior leadership under a huge amount of pressure because they know what mummy and daddy do. And so in terms of our prayer, and we pray for this, I'd love us to pray for the kids involved in this. They're the people who don't volunteer for this. They just kind of get pulled into it. Um, And so they should be treated with extra grace and extra care. Number 12, we're almost there. They need to be mature believers, not a recent convert, or you may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Others should be men who have been following Jesus for a while. Now, maturity doesn't necessarily happen with the passing of time, but one would hope it it does. As you follow Jesus over time, more and more you become more and more like him. As the the Spirit of God dwells in you, you read the Word of God, you're around his people, you get taught, you get challenged, you see the example of other godly men, and you think you grow, you mature, you try new things, you do things. And hopefully all of us, if you reflect back over your life over the last year, two years, three years, five years, you can see God's grace in your life and there being evidence of you maturing in him and going deeper in him. There's no set time limit of this. It's, it's a judgment call, but the idea is that they cannot be recent converts, but they must have been following Jesus for a while. I sent a text out to the guys. said, tell me when you became a Christian and how long you've been following Jesus. So myself, I became a Christian at 20. I've been following him 24 years. You can do the maths on our ages. Jeremy became a Christian at 18. He's been following Jesus 27 years. And Matt became a Christian at 19 and been following Jesus 21 years. And so hopefully we qualify on that that we've been faithful followers of Jesus for a long time when you see it on paper like that. Uh, (laughs) Suddenly feel very old. But the elders must be mature believers. And the final one, 
reputation, they might, or reputable, they must be well thought of by outsiders. So they may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Reputation outside the church is really important because often they know more about you than the church do. We gather here for what? Two hours every Sunday, give or take. Maybe a life group if it's our turn to go that week or something else. But actually we spend an awful lot more time with our families and particularly our work if we have a job, if we're employed somewhere. We spend a lot more time with those people. Uh, And many of those are outside the church. Most of you work with people who don't come to this church. And so if you are thought of in poorly there because your behavior is bad, it reflects not only on you, but it reflects on the church and ultimately on Jesus himself. And so it's vital that the leaders of the church are thought of well outside of the church, not just inside the church, which means there's a pressure on there on how we conduct ourselves in those environments. It's no good being very nice here on a Sunday for two hours and putting on the show and then going being foul to your work colleagues Monday morning and being the one that no one wants to work with or is just that overbearing boss or whatever it is or the one who's always moaning. And so to, to serve this as I was reflecting on this, I said to the, um, the guys involved, okay, how are we going to work this one out? For, so I want a reference from uh, your people at work so I, we can be sure as a church what's that like. And so I've got their references here that I'm now going to read to you. Uh, I'll start with my one first because not only do I work here for the church, which I don't do full-time, I also actually um, spend uh, two afternoons, evenings, and weeks um, as a karate instructor. I'm a second-down black belt, don't mess, and I've been doing that for about, I think, five or six years. I run classes, training courses. I also go and get trained myself, and I have a boss who is the chief instructor who looks after me, and I, I have responsibilities in there. So I went to them and said, look, this is happening in church. They know nothing about church. They're confound atheists. And I said, this is what happened. Could you please write a reference to me and explain it? And so this is what they, he wrote about me. Uh, Stuart is the most valuable, dedicated, and pragmatic staff member within our organization. Stuart displays an extremely caring attitude, very polite, and has a great sense of humor. He is very much liked by all the team and students. Stuart's commitment, support, kindness, and teaching uh, has a positive influence on the students and is respected by them and their parents. Responsibilities include teaching children 4 to 16 years on a weekly basis, conducts examinations, and supports all our charity events. One including the selfless action of going bald for a charitable cause. Stuart also has good administrative and organizational skills, which are an important factor in his role as a combat kids instructor. If you would like to read that, that is there. Who should we do next, Jeremy? This is what it said about Jeremy. It says, I have known Jeremy for 18 months. He is a person of integrity and he is both evidenced by his high regard he is held by colleagues and our organizational external clients. I would recommend him for this position. I am certain he will do an excellent job should he be successful in this application. There's a little ominous note at the end there. <laughs> yeah. And then Matthew, it said this. I can recommend Matt wholeheartedly and without reservation. He lives a consistent, uh, his life is consistent to his faith and his integrity is a light to those around him. He is a good communicator, approachable, trustworthy, and where discretion is required. He is a consummate professional. Thought well of by outsiders. Okay, let's just reflect on what we've said here today. I want to look at three things. First one is I want to look at Jesus. There's only one person who's ever lived who perfectly fits that. And that's Jesus. We've all failed at some point in one of those areas in thought and word and deed. 
We've all messed up. But because of his death and resurrection, we are now found in him. Which means everything that he had is credited to us. Before God, we stand righteous, holy, and blameless. Our account before God is perfect because of Jesus. We can come boldly into his presence, which we've even done this morning. And we can praise him and worship him and make bold requests of him because he loves us and he saved us and we are now clothed in his righteousness. And we get to enjoy this forever as believers. What wonderful news. If you're not a believer here, I want to offer that to you. I want to offer you the opportunity to come to know Jesus for yourself, to find forgiveness for your sins, to find freedom from shame and guilt, to be adopted into God's family, the church, to know him as a loving heavenly father and to enjoy that forever. And so as we reflect on some of these character requirements that we find in the Bible, we must always start with God. We must always start with what he's done. And he's saved us and he's brought us into his kingdom. And so actually when it comes to striving for the things, we don't have to because he's already given it to us in Jesus, which is just good news for us today. The second thing I want us to reflect on is ourselves. Ourselves. If you're a believer here, that list applies to you. That list applies to you, and it is a challenge to aspire to. It is not an opportunity to earn God's favor. It's not an opportunity to think, if I'm like this, if I sort out my drinking, and my people at work think I'm nice, and I give a bit of money to the offering, and I kind of put on a kind of a good show when I'm around Christians, God will love me more. That's not the way it works. He already loves you. He's already chosen you. He's already saved you. From that position, we live out who we are. We live out who we are. We are adopted children. We are holy and dearly loved. And from that position, we then walk into all God has for us. And we live by his grace this way because we know the Holy Spirit's in us and will lead us and shape us and mold us and guide us. And so I want us just to reflect back over that list. And I want us to challenge ourselves on it. How are you doing? How are you doing in the area of sexual purity? Are there things that you need to stop doing? Are there some things that you need to start doing? What about being stable and disciplined and respectable? What about the way you conduct yourselves around others? Are there things that you need to adjust in your life? What about being hospitable? And opening your home and just serving one another. And it can be some of the most simple things. It doesn't have to be a massive show. It's just loving and caring for people around you. What about being a teacher and able to teach? What about actually knowing your Bible? Do you read it so that if someone did ask you, what is this church thing you do? What's so big about Jesus? You can actually respond in an intelligent way. Are you into your word on a regular basis? How are you doing with alcohol? How are you doing with that? Can you drink in moderation? Or is it something that you fail in and you might need to talk with someone about and adjust? What about being gentle and peaceable? Would that describe your character? Or are you more likely to be irritable and snappy 
at people that they, they take a wide berth from you. They bear with a sore head. What about generous? How are yours, how's your money situation going? How are you recognizing that everything you had comes from God and then with that, giving generously away parts of it to serve his kingdom and to serve others? What about managing your own household? If you're married, there's a marriage there. If you've got children, there's children there. If you haven't got either of those things, you still have your own life that you need to manage before God. Your own life. How are you doing in that? Are you conducting your own affairs well? Or do you need to make some adjustments, get some help? What about growing in maturity as a believer? Are you taking it when things come and people challenge you or even in the sermons God puts his finger on something like, are you responding to that because that's how we mature on the ways we, 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 we get challenged and we grow from that we learn from that is that happening in your life and what would happen if I asked for a character reference from your work what would they say about you what would your boss say what would your colleagues say what would those of you those who are in responsibility what would those underneath you say? What about those who are at school? What would your teachers say about you? Be challenged. If you know there are things in your life that kind of need to get adjusted, sorry, you need to confess, you need to repent, and then you need to receive some forgiveness. And we can do that at the end. If we know there, you know there are things in your life you need to get straight with God, we can do that. He is right here. He wants to forgive and restore and the last thing for us who've been who are looking to be appointed at elders i invite you to examine our lives and to use what we've got here to examine us how do we stack up with that list because if we don't we are not fit for office and which is something that should broadly speaking describe us we are all a work in progress and we'd cover your prayers for us, for our families in this season. But I offer you um, an opportunity to come and talk to us, examine our lives on those things. Let me finish now. Just as by way of reminder of what's next, I outlined this last week. I'll remind you again today. What we're going to do in the process of appointing elders, we're having some days of prayer and fasting. The first one was last Tuesday. Thank you, everybody who did it. I know many of you did. Um, gave up something and then replaced it with prayer for us as a church and everything we do we gathered on tuesday night just down the atrium there and prayed it was a brilliant turnout lots of people praying uh, we prayed about a whole bunch of things to do with church where god's calling us and uh, not just this issue but we had a wonderful opportunity there we've got two more of those days scheduled in uh, one the next one's the 21st of may which is our next prayer meeting date so you should all have that where we'll pray and we'll put some stuff out before you so i want to encourage you if you missed that one fine next uh, the next one come and join us pray fast if you can um, if it fits with you or your health conditions um, and come and join us with that the next one we've got the sermon series on elders there's this week we've also got one more next week please come if you know you're not going to be here next week please make sure you catch up so you just you've heard everything um, we now submit it to the church in terms of your consensus on this i've put out an email address that'll be up there that I ask everyone to, if you're a member of the church here, to write some kind of response. I've had a whole bunch of them so far. Thank you, everyone who's done that. All positive. I'm collating them all, effectively copying them, pasting onto one Word document that's growing, which when it's finished, I will circulate amongst the leaders of the church, and I'll push out to Andy and Heather Martin so they get to read everything 
um, and what we're doing. That's going to close. I think it's the 19th of May, I said. I'll close that. Um, but you have an opportunity. If you haven't done that, please do that. And then 23rd of June, we're looking to appoint elders. Andy and Heather will be here, followed by a church lunch with some Domino pizza. So that's where we're going. Can we have the band up, please? And I want to pray. So do you want to stand up? And I want to just take a moment to bring this before God. Maybe we just want to close your eyes, open your hands. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that we are found in you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that our righteousness and our holiness cannot be increased by our actions. That we are secure in you, Lord Jesus. We are adopted children in your family. We are part of your kingdom. We can come boldly before your throne and make great requests even now, Lord Jesus. And I want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and examine our lives, even here and now, all of us, Lord, who confess to be followers of you, Lord. I want you to examine our lives, God, and I pray, would you graciously highlight things in our life that need to be addressed? (laughs) Lord, we want to say we want to become more like you, and that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by us doing some. We're not trying to earn your favor, Lord, but we want to grow into more and more into your likeness, Lord Jesus. So I ask, Holy Spirit of God, you'd just come and have your way with us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if if you're standing here and you know there are things in your life that need to get realigned, readjusted, things you need to stop doing or some things you need to start doing, you can have both. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us grace to walk into them. If you know that's you now, I just want you to do some business with our Lord right now before we start singing. I want you to confess it to God, which means you have to name it before him. This area, this thing, Lord, this specific thing I do or say or think or act, I want you to name it before him. I then want you to repent, which means just turn away from it, which means forsake it, which means go the other way. I want to leave that behind. And I want you to seek God's forgiveness for it. Just ask him to forgive you for it. And then lastly, I want you to receive what he's got for you. I want you to receive his forgiveness. I want you to receive his favor. I want you to receive his cleansing. I want you to receive that picture in the prodigal son of the father running towards the wayward son, grabbing him up, taking him inside, putting a cloak on him and a ring on his finger and having a mega feast and proclaiming to everyone, my son is back. Lord Jesus, I want, God, I want us to know that what it means to be chosen children, sons and daughters of you, Lord God, that we are accepted before you. Lord God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God's people said, Amen.